Amen, amen, and good morning. Um, it's a great day to be at the house of the Lord, and my name is Dan Hammer. I have the privilege of being the senior pastor here, and if I haven't had the opportunity to meet you yet, I would love to do so after the service. And man, uh, God is moving here, amen? And if this is your first time here, or you've been here many times, your family here, and we are so thankful to the Lord for you and how God is working in and through all of us for his glory. We're going to be continue our, our series in Hebrews 11. We will go, love going verse by verse through the Bible here. Um, so we're going to be in Hebrews 11:23 and also Exodus chapter 1 today. And if you don't have a copy of God's Word, one is available for you in the back. We love the Bible. We love the Word of God here and praise God that he's building his church here. Amen. Well, I love to say that our, the calling and the commitment God's given us in our, is to go from the neighborhoods to the nations to make disciples for Jesus Christ. And we just had a report earlier today that of how the ch- God is using this church to go to the nations, praise God. And we're going to have a baptisms later today and talking about the demonstrate how God is going to the neighborhoods here, literally. Um, and God is changing lives because that's what the gospel does. Jesus changes everything. And I pray that you would see that today. I pray that that would just, uh, just manifest in your heart and your lives today, how God is at work. And baptism Sundays are some of my favorite Sundays because we get to hear testimonies about the transformational impact of the gospel of God. How who we were is no longer, you know, in our flesh is no longer who we are now in Christ. Amen. That the old is gone and the new is come, but something happens when we give our lives to the Lord. We have a new master. We have a new freedom as we're going to talk about today. And I pray that you would all find that freedom today or go back to that. But we also now have a new lens. And I love what Jeff said earlier about giving someone a new lens to literally see the gospel, to see the Bible, that I can now see it. And now I have a new commission to live it, right? I have a new perspective on how I am to live life. And sometimes that's very difficult, right? It's a hard adjustment to all of a sudden, I'm not living for me, but I'm living for who? God. What does it look like to live that out in the Lord? How do I now make decisions under the reality that God is my Lord, that he's the boss, that he's bigger than me, and that his word is greater than me? I don't want to just do what I want to do, but now I want to learn what God wants me to do and then apply what God wants me to do. Amen? And we're going to see that journey today. But we're going to see the reality that in the life of Moses' family and even some others in the nation of Israel, that that choice can come with a lot of earthly consequences and difficult circumstance. But we are still called to live out in faith the choice to follow God, because in the choice to follow God, that is where our freedom is found. Amen? And I pray that whatever circumstance or difficulty you are in, and we're going to see a lot of hostility, a lot of adversity, a lot of difficulty in the text, that that cannot and that will not trump to Jesus's victory. And that freedom is choosing to honor and choosing to follow the Lord in every season and in every circumstance. And whatever you're facing today, the question that we are all asking ourselves as we encounter daily situations or how we respond to life or the choices that we will make is, Hmm, do I want to go to the right or the left? Well, how will that change my life, right? How will that impact me? What are the consequences that await for me if I go to this school versus that school? What will happen to my family if we move? What will the earthly circumstances be? Ultimately, the decisions that we all have to process is, is it worth it, is it, worth it to me to follow the Lord, right? 
to obey, to change how I speak, to change how I live, is it worth it to me? But really the ultimate question that we are asking, that God is asking us and that we are answering with our responses is, is God worthy to me, right? Is he worthy of my obedience? Is he worthy of my submitting under his authority to then live that out in daily practicality? Because it's a worship issue. Obedience is a worship issue. Faith is a worship issue. Am I elevating God over my circumstance? Am I elevating God's word over the word of man? And as we're going to have the baptisms later, three men, which is awesome, by the way, God is working and he's answering our prayers. I have been praying, our our team has been praying that God would do a work in the men of this church. And he is, he is. It's a big deal that three adult men are getting baptized and one was baptized last month. Praise God for that. The question that they're going to answer today is, yes, God is worthy. That's the question I want to ask you in your life today. Is God worthy to you? Is he worthy? Is he worthy of your affection? Is he worthy of your obedience? Because it's a question that elicits and exposes many of the fears in our hearts, but also reveals the freedom that comes through faith. It reveals our idols. It reveals where we are attaching our satisfaction to and our sufficiency in. And it reveals their inadequacy and really it comes to the reality that only God is adequate. Only God is worthy. It's the question whose answer once realized and actualized provides and produces the freedom that you and I are desperately seeking today. You're here to find freedom and I want you to know freedom is here, but it's only found in one person and his name is Jesus Christ. The, fee, the freedom that you're looking for to hope, the freedom that you're looking for to have joy, the freedom that you're looking for to have peace is not found in any bank account, any human being, any job status, any school, any GPA. It is only found in Jesus Christ. Your circumstances will change. Christ will never change. And in and through it all, through Jesus, we find the spiritual freedom, even in difficult times. That is the freedom that that Moses' family is going to experience today. The bondage is real, but so is the breakthrough. Amen? And I pray today that we will acknowledge the reality of our bondage, our spiritual bondage, and that we would look to Jesus to provide the breakthrough that he promises, and that we would find the freedom that God's word is going to promise us and provide for us and point us to today. Here in in the face of our fears today, I pray that you would find hope and experience God's grace as you choose to put your faith in Jesus Christ for the first time or again. Here's a big idea. You'll see it in the text. You'll see it on the screen. That freedom from the fears of life is found through fearing the Lord. Freedom from the fears of life. And we all have fear. Like, let's just acknowledge that right now. All of us are fearing something this morning. Physically, spiritually, emotionally. Faith is not the absence of fear. Faith is the turning to the Lord in the presence of fear. Freedom from fears of life is found through fearing the Lord. Let's go through God's word, God in prayer. Father, I just thank you so much for who you are. I thank you for today, the special day that it is, the special day that it is anytime that we gather in your house to worship you. Every Sunday special. And God, I thank you that we give praise to you today for the transformation you've done in three men's lives specifically, but honestly, the, the transformation you have done, are doing and want to do in every single person in this room, every single person watching online. And I just pray that right now that you would eliminate the distractions and the presuppositions that we might have entered into this room with. And God, that you would do a work in us and through us that brings you glory. God, that changes lives, that transforms families. God, that provides the joy, the peace, the hope. God, the the certainty of eternity that we are all yearning for today. 
And only you, Jesus, can do that. And because of that, Jesus, we are here to worship you. We're here to praise you. We're here to adore you. Silence me and may your words flow, Jesus Christ. Magnify yourself, Jesus. Make yourself be great, Jesus. Jesus, we love you and we adore you and we worship you. It is your name that we lift high above every other name. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. So turn with me, if you would, to Exodus uh, chapter 1. And look with me as, uh, on the screen as I re- we read the passage from Hebrews. Um, again, we're going verse by verse through Hebrews to see the journey of God building his people, which ultimately leads to Jesus building his church. The journey of, of faith being passed from generation to generation in God's faithfulness. From Hebrews eleven twenty three, 23, it says this, the author of Hebrews says, By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. They were tempted to be afraid, just like you and I are. But they were not afraid. Why? Because they chose faith. So in the face of fear, as Hebrews 11 is talking about, we can choose faith. You You are not debilitated from choosing faith, but it is a choice. We see God working in their lives. And so understand this context, we're going to study Exodus chapter 1 today to understand what's going on here. Essentially, Jacob has died, Joseph has died, as we looked at last week, and now uh, the whole nation of Israel, the generation that brought, God brought Israel to Egypt is passing away. Look with me, if you would, at Exodus chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. These are the names of the sons of Israel who came to Egypt with Jacob, each with his household, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, Benjamin, Dan, and Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. All the descendants of, Je- on, descendants of Jacob were 70 persons. Joseph was already in Egypt. And then Joseph died and all his brothers and all that generation. But the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. They multiplied and they grew exceedingly strong so that the land was filled with them. I want you to see three times in this first chapter, God, the text is going to teach us of the beautiful reality that God is fulfilling his promise by growing his people in the face of adversity in a different geographical location than was their home. God was growing his people. God fulfills his promises, amen? His promises aren't contingent on genealogy or geography. It's not contingent on whether the work is hard or whether the work is easy, whether the person that is in the earthly governmental position is a hard ruler or a very nice man or woman. None of that can stop our God. We see that in this text. And so the the nation of Israel, which is really Jacob's name, God changed that to, to Israel. And so his sons began to make up the nation of Israel. They arrived 70 or 75 to people strong, depending on, this says 70 here. Stephen's account in Acts says 75. They arrived that way in Egypt, hungry, because they had no food in a famine. And now they were growing to thousands and thousands because God was building his people. Now, verse 8, it continues. Now, there arose a new king over Egypt. So all of Joseph's generation had died. The Pharaoh that had known Joseph had died. There was a new ruler, transition of power, different perspective, who did not know Joseph, verse 8, now into verse 9. And he said to his people, behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. And if war breaks out, they join our enemies and they fight against us and escape from the land. Therefore, they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. They built for Pharaoh's store cities in Python and Ramses. But the more they were oppressed, the more they what? Multiplied. And the more they spread abroad, God is building his people. And the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel. 
So they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves, and they made their lives bitter with hard service in mortar and brick, and in all kinds of work in the field. In all their work, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. So this transition has happened, and all of a sudden the people of Israel that had a decent life, they were minding their own business in the area of Goshen and Egypt, went from settled to slaves. They went from freedom to bondage. They went from blessing to having a bitter life. Their lives were bitter, verse 13 says, with hard service. And weren't they tempted to lose hope? But God kept working. Verse 12 teaches us that God was even multiplying them as the oppression happened. No matter how strong the oppression or the oppressor, the overcomer will always win. Praise God for that. It's against this backdrop and this horrible change in season and situation, we get to know the heart of God better. And we get to see the character of God is bigger. We see that God is not surprised by this turn of events, is he? Because as you'll see on the screen behind me, he actually foretold it to Abraham in Genesis chapter 15. When he continued to encourage Abraham and said, I will make you into a great nation. He says this in Genesis chapter 15, verses 13 and 14. Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs. And they will be servants there. They'll be slaves. They will be afflicted for 400 years. Now, is that a short time or a long time? That's a long time. That's generations worth of time. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve. And afterwards, highlight that word, they shall come out with what? Great possessions. Yes, the oppression will be long. Yes, it will be oppression. But it is not the definition of who you are. Because no one can stop our God. There is another side to this. There is a side where there is an afterwards. Sometimes you have to go through it to see God greater in it. Amen? And the perspective on the other side of it is that that was a blessing because of it. We don't see it in the moment. All we see is 400 years. I, I was born into slavery. I'm going to die into slavery. But you have to have a bigger perspective than yourself. My kids, my grandkids, God's going to move this way. And afterwards, they came out with a great possession. They went in broken and starving with nothing. And on the other side, they came out with great possessions. Praise God. Amen. He's working, even when it's hard for us to see it. But in this 400 years, it's a long time. But God knew about it. And God was with them in it. And just like whatever situations or seasons you're walking through in your life right now, God's not surprised by them. God's not caught off guard by the difficulty you're facing, the adversity you're walking through, or the opposition that you're experiencing. He is sovereign over it. He loves you in it. And he will see you through it. The question is, will you trust him in it? Or will you allow the fear to captivate you? The difference between fear and faith is your focus. I love that eyeglass. We're going to keep going back to that through the entire message, right? Because it's all about focus. Are you looking at the opposition or are you looking at the overcomer? That's breakthrough. Bondage is real, but so is breakthrough. So the Israelites found themselves God's people in political slavery, economic slavery, social slavery, and spiritual slavery. But they still found that God was working. God was building them. The more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied. That's a theme throughout the entire Bible. Persecution is the best church planning tool. <laughs> Read the book of Acts, right? You can kill the messenger. You can't stop the message. God is building his church. They can take your freedom away. They can't take the love of God away. It's backbreaking work. The bondage is real, but so is the breakthrough. Where is your focus? There's always a choice. Spiritual freedom comes when you focus on the Lord. 
Today, we're going to look at when fear draws near, two ways to break free from fear. I don't know what fears you're facing today. I just know that they're real. Fear is real. It's a real thing. There's a reason why the greatest, the most often repeated command in the Bible is what? Do not what? Fear. It's not because, oh no, you should, you know, fear is not real. It's because we have no reason to fear because our God is bigger than whatever the opposition or the obstacle we're facing. So this text teaches us when fear draws near, and maybe you're walking through fear of man, fear of adversity, fear of difficulty, fear of tomorrow, fear of financial struggles, fear of whatever it is, there's breakthrough for you. The first way that we are to break through today from fear is this. When fear draws near, behold, God is bigger. Behold God as bigger. Focus on God as bigger than the problem, bigger than the opposition, bigger than the adversity, bigger than the difficulty, because that is what we see the people of God doing here. In the middle of the slavery, he was still their savior. He was their sustainer. He was their strength. And he is that for here to you today too. We're not here today to deny the reality of fear. We're here today to, defy, to declare the, the victory that comes through faith. Your external circumstances might not, you might still be in external bondage. You can't control your boss. You can't control what your significant other does or doesn't do. You can't control the circumstances, who gets voted into the White House next year. But our hope is not who sits in the Oval Office. Our hope is who reigns on the eternal throne. Amen? We can choose where we focus our heart. So look with me, if you would, at verse 15 through 21 of Exodus. Then the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, one of them was named Shipra and the other Pua, when you serve as a midwife to the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stool, if it's a son, you shall kill him. But if it's a daughter, she shall live. But the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but they let the male children live. So the king of Egypt called the midwives and said to them, why have you done this and let the male children live? The midwives said to Pharaoh, well, Pharaoh, let me tell you something. Because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, for they are vigorous, use your imaginations, and give birth before the midwife comes to them. So God dealt well with the midwives and the people, again, the third time, multiplied and grew what? Very strong. Why? Verse 21, and because the midwives, what? Feared God, he gave them families. The midwives saw God as bigger, bigger than Pharaoh, bigger than the earthly king. And so they chose to fear God and obey God as opposed to fearing man and capitulating themselves to do the earthly act that would go against the word of God. Because the question for today really is when God's, the word of God is in conflict with the word of man, who are you choosing to follow? Who are you choosing to obey? Pharaoh acting in pure evil in verse 15, heinously orders a genocide against all male babies, Hebrews, for population control and diminish their size. I don't want you to miss the back part of verse 12 that we looked at here either. When you go back and look at verse 12, it says this, and the Egyptians were in what? Dread of the people of Israel. The Egyptians had all the territorial control, all the money control, all the the, the political control, all the army control, and they were the ones afraid. Why? Because their focus was on the Israelites. The Israelites 
had none of that. They were in slavery, but the midwives lived in faith and they feared God over man because their focus was on God, right? They saw God as bigger and so they found freedom. And maybe, just maybe, that is what God is asking you to do today. To choose freedom that he is graciously and freely offering you by focusing on God and not other people. Not the what ifs, but the who is. So these midwives, Pharaoh doesn't just issue this decree, but in verse 16, he asked and put these women in an impossible situation. He asked Hebrew women to commit murder. Midwives, you're just doing your job. It's another day at the office. You're helping ladies deliver. But if it's a guy, I want you to kill them. Like literally. Can you imagine that? I can't. But what do you do when you're between a rock? I can't kill these babies in a hard place. Pharaoh will probably kill me if I don't kill these babies. What do you do when you don't know what to do? What do you do when it feels like at every turn there is a consequence that is not going to end well for you? Well, what you should do is do what the midwives did. What do they do? They feared God. They chose to fear God. God. And they found freedom in that. They found the freedom to hope in an impossible situation, in the middle of adversity, hostility, tragedy. They chose to fear God. And that same choice and that same freedom is available for you right here, right now. You might not be faced with the the choice to kill a baby tomorrow, but you very well might be faced to go against God's word in some capacity at work or at home or in the office or at the gym or in your own flesh and mind. These midwives are heroes because they feared God and did not do what the king of Egypt commanded them, but they let the male children live. And Pharaoh is ticked and he calls them and says, what in the world are you doing? He's calling them to the carpet. And they go, here's the deal. The Hebrew wives just push them out faster than the Egyptians. There's nothing we could do about it. Now, we're not sure whether that's 100% true or not, right? Are they lying? Are they not? Is there an ethical question here or not? I, you know, here's what we do know. God honored them because they did not kill these babies. Because verse 21 said that. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families. He dwelt well with them. They did the right thing by seeing God as bigger and elevating God, the word of God, over the word of man. It's always the right decision when you follow the Lord over any human being, no matter how much power they have. Where in your life do you need to do that? today. What does it mean to fear the Lord? Here's a working definition we put to, I put together this week, and it has a lot to do with reverence, but fear the Lord on a practical street level is this, trusting God wholeheartedly and doing what God says faithfully, no matter the circumstance or consequence. Trusting God wholeheartedly and doing what God says faithfully, no matter the circumstance or the consequence. We need to change our focus from the circumstance or the consequence to Christ. We need to look up. And in doing that, we find the perseverance and the confidence to look forward in faith. Fearing the Lord on a practical level, I think it's a holistic challenge for all of us. It starts in our hearts. It's a heart that is surrendered to God. It's a heart posture of surrender, fearing the Lord. And then it goes to our head. 
So our heart starts and it's surrendered to God and it's a head posture, a choice that is submitted to God's word. So a heart that is surrendered to God, a head that is submitted to God's word, and then it goes to our hands that are committed to sacrifice and to serve the Lord. So it starts in our heart with surrender, it goes to our head with submission to God's word, and then it comes out of our hands with the actions of obedience, the application, hearts of service. We see that pattern right here with these midwives. They feared God, and the fear of God that emanated and started in their hearts, and then went to their minds, then led to the actions. It's not just like to obey to obey's sake. They were obeying as an overflow of worship and reverence to God. Get that? It's important. It's a vitally important thing. The fear of the Lord indicates respect and reverence of God, trust and obedience. It's the acknowledgement of what God says about himself is true and his authority is true. And it motivates us and it leads us to respond accordingly and to, see, to live with knowledge and to seek knowledge and wisdom and live with faithful obedience. My question is, are you doing that in your life? When you have a hard decision or big or small, are you going through that metric? Is my heart surrendered to God? Are my motives aligned with God? It's a posture of my heart in surrender. If I'm saying Jesus is Lord, I need to live in a surrendered position all the time, not just some of the times. And then is my head submitted to God's word? Is what the action I'm about to take in alignment with the word of God or not? And if it's not, guess what we should always do? God's way, not our way. And then that should drive our actions, our service. We should be committed to a life of service and we need to trust God with the earthly consequences. Fearing in the Lord wholeheartedly trusts God implicitly and in, 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 in totality with earthly consequences. These midwives are not rebelling against the earthly government. Jesus never rebelled against Rome. The disciples, when they were in Acts 5, read it. They're like, the Sanhedrin and the people, religious leaders, like, you need to stop evangelizing. They're like, we can't. We need to tell people about Jesus. We have, you got to do what you got to do. You got to take our lives. Great. We're in prison for the rest of our life. Great. But we will not stop sharing about Jesus. There wasn't a, a, a human insurrection. It was a spiritual conviction and trusting the Lord with the consequences. Where do you need to do that in your life today? It's elevating overall and trusting the Lord in all. You're like, I don't know what to do today. Look what the Proverbs 9, 10, and 11 says. I pray that this verse will be helpful for you. And coming from the wisest man who ever lived, Solomon, it says here, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. You're like, I don't know what to do. Well, start with the fear of the Lord, right? Start there. The knowledge of the Holy One is insight. For by me, God says, your days will be multiplied and your years will be added to life. So when you don't know what to do, when you're in a heart, are you just trying to figure it out in man's ways? Or are you going to God and God's word? Are you asking biblical community like, hey, am I, am I having blind spots here? Is what I'm about to do in alignment with God's word or not? Are you allowing the fear of the Lord to be the beginning of the wisdom of the Lord in your life? That's breakthrough. Go to a different source for your truth and your hope. Heart surrendered, mind submitted, all hands open in serving and sacrificing, all as an overflow of worship to God. Now the midwives, they were free to obey because they had placed their hope and their faith in the right object, God. The Egyptians were terrified because they had placed their hope and their faith in control, domination, power, all of which can be gone in an instant. Where's your hope today? Your hope is 
You're like, I hope in the Lord, but if I don't have enough money, you know, I, I'm not going to be able to really do what I want to do. So therefore, I'm a slave to my work, right? Because I need to get the money to do what I want to do, and, and I just become captive to that. Where's your hope? Is it in a hobby? Is it in a, in a 4.99 GPA, whatever, which is great. But if you're a slave to studying and you never get in the scripture, it's bad, right? Where's your hope? What is enslaving you? What, where do you need freedom from today? Here are some fear-busting realities that help shift our focus today for all of us. And I pray that you would cling this. And again, how do I get freedom today? It's a Romans 12, 2 principle. By renewing my mind, right? By resetting. By renewing my mind on that, the reality that God is bigger. That he is sovereign and that he reigns. And then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Renew your mind. Here are some fear-busting realities. Here, the first one is this that my God redeems, amen? So these Israelites' midwives had looked at their lives and go, God, they had heard the stories. He wasn't alive anymore, but God redeemed Joseph from the pit, right? God redeemed Joseph's time in the prison. God redeemed his brother's betrayal of Joseph. God redeemed a famine. So God can redeem me now. My God reigns. He's sovereign. My God used a pagan king in Egypt to save his people and continue to build his people. So he's going to be he's sovereign then. And guess what? He's sovereign now. He was sovereign over his people when, when a famine threatened their lives. And he is sovereign over this Pharaoh when this Pharaoh threatens their lives. I can trust in that. I can have confidence in that. And that same God is reigning over every detail of your life today too. My God protects And he provides. He provided food in the famine. He protected their physical life. He protected their spiritual life. He, he brought reconciliation. He provided restoration. He provided reconciliation. He provided for Joseph in the pit, Joseph in the prison, Joseph in the palace. When he's like, can you imagine the pressure of having to save an entire world with a system of, of you know, he's, it was, Joseph was gifted in admin, but can you imagine that pressure to make the food work for everybody? God will provide, he'll protect you, and he delivers. My God delivers. He delivers us from the physical bondage. He delivers us from our deepest need, which is spiritual bondage. Fearing God is trusting God and revering God. How many of us need to change our focus? You ever, anybody like to take selfies these days or take pictures, right? Like a lot of us, yeah. There's this new mode called portrait mode. That's not new. That's how shows how old I am. Portrait mode, right? What happens when you take a picture with portrait mode? What's in the foreground is very, very clear, right? What's in the back? What happens to what's in the background? It becomes a little blurry, but it's still there, right? But your focus is what? On what's in front of you, what's bigger. How much in our life and with the situations and circumstances we're walking through, we're, God might be in the background right now and he's a little blurry. He's there and we might go to church. We might even read our Bible occasionally. But really what's happening right now is the circumstance or the potential consequence from following the Lord is right in our face. And that is what is dictating our actions. We need to change that and bring God to the forefront. Make God literally bigger so that God is in focus in our situations and our circumstances. are a little They're there but they're in the background and they're blurry because our God is bigger and he's in focus and he's going to deliver. He's going to redeem. He's going to provide. It doesn't mean that there won't be a 400 year slavery season or a 40 day difficulty or a four week trial or a 40 year trial. 
It just means that God's bigger than it and he's working in it and we can trust him through it because he has our best in store. So where do you need to change your perspective? What would it look like? What needs to change for you to look like and act as God is bigger in your marriage? God is bigger in your dating relationship. God is bigger in your home life. God is bigger in your finances. What would change? Would that free you to give more if God is bigger than your finances, right? Would it free you to spend more time working on what God wants if God's bigger than your calendar? What would it look like? Would you be quicker to give if God is bigger in your marriage relationship or your dating relationship or your friend? I have the freedom to forgive because my God redeems, right? I'll be quicker to redeem. I'll forgive. I'll be quicker to seek reconciliation. I'm quicker to trust. My God is bigger. He's greater. So where do you need to focus on him today? The midwives feared God by elevating the word of God over the command of man, and they had generational impact because of it. God blessed them with families because of the fear, and God used their decisions to grow his people. I can't promise you the outcomes of your decisions. I can promise you the reality and specificity. I can promise you the generality that when you choose to honor and fear the Lord, God will use it to build his church and build his kingdom and grow you. And you, you never know. What the, decision, the faith-fearing God decision that you make today will have on some other person or some other situation or some other people that will have an impact on God's kingdom in the world far greater than you could ever hope or imagine. Freedom from the fears of life is found through my fear of the Lord, explicitly right there in the text. The second, the second way to step out today and break free from your fears is this, is to when fear draws near, believe God's word to be greater so I need to behold, I need to see, I need to change my perspective. I need to see God more clearly as bigger. And then I need to believe in my heart that God's word is greater. The story continues and we now get to see the birth of Moses and in 22 of chapter one, then Pharaoh commanded all his people and said, every son that is born to the Hebrews, every single son you should, shall cast into the Nile, but you shall let every daughter live. Now a man from the house of Levi went and took also took as his wife a Levite woman. The, the woman conceived and bore a son. And when she saw that he was a fine child, he was fine, she hid him for three months. When she could hide him no longer, she took him in a, bas- in a basket made of bulrushes and daubed it with bitumen and pitch. And she put the child in it and placed it among the reeds by the riverbank. And his sister stood at a distance to know what would be, be done to him. And now the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river. And while her young, woman, her young woman walked beside the river, she saw the basket among the reeds and sent her servant woman and she took it. And when she opened it, she saw the child. And behold, the baby was crying. He's alive. That's a big deal. She took pity on him. The word means compassion. This is one of the Hebrews' children. And then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go and call you a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, go. And so the girl went and called the child's mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. And when the child grew up, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses because she said, I drew him out of the water. Believe God's word to be greater. Remember what Hebrews said, right? By faith, 1123, by faith, when Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of what? The king's edict. They were not afraid of the word of the king. They were not afraid of the word of man. Why? Because they viewed the word of God as better, as greater, as a higher commitment to the word of God. They chose to not 
fear the king's edict, which contradicted the word of God. And we see that live out right here in chapter two. Pharaoh doubles down on his homicidal decree and he wants all the Hebrews thrown, babies, boys thrown into the Nile to drown. But while Pharaoh was raging, God was working. Same today. Even when political rulers, I just watched the news the last couple days, right? What's happening in, in Europe. When they're raging, God's still working. We might not know all the details, but he's working. To one Hebrew couple was born a son whom Exodus 2-2, when his mom and his parents saw him, says he's good, he's fine. Now, it's not talking like, oh, Moses is a cute baby, right? It's he's healthy. And I, I love what Pastor Al Mohler says, and he's a scholar, and he says that this is far more than saying that Moses was a cute baby, but rather the author of Hebrews was referring to the reality that Moses was set apart by God to do a great work for God. Now, we don't have that 100% textually, you know, but I, you know, I believe that they probably saw some of that and that the Holy Spirit, that God was working in them in a, in a big way. And so they, they chose to disobey the king's edict to not have him killed, but to stay alive. Now, there's a story of a baby being born to a God-fearing couple in a land that was not their home to be a redeemer of God's people and deliverer of God's people in a climate where the earthly power, the political ruler, wanted to kill all the baby boys. Sound familiar to you? It's the same story with Jesus. The life of Moses points us to the life of Jesus, the ultimate deliverer the ultimate one who saves us out of spiritual slavery, who came and, and, and lived a perfect life and died the death that you and I could not because we have a sin problem that requires a perfect sacrifice and none of us are perfect. Only Jesus could be that sacrifice for us to make that payment. And when we put our faith in him, we get to have salvation and live for eternity with him. Ironically enough, when Jesus' life was threatened by Herod, Joseph and Mary took him to what country to be saved? Egypt. Interesting, right? God is in sovereign control. So now we have Moses' parents beholding the word of God is greater. The promise is that God is going to build his people, that God is going to, that they can trust in him, that they can act on them, that they can put their whole future in his hands and entrust their future to him. Now Moses got too big to be hidden and mom made a basket for him and put him in a river. Can you imagine that sacrifice as a parent? Can you imagine that choice? No good decision here. I need to either let my baby drown or I need to give him up, put him in a basket, and I don't know if I'll ever see him again. He might be killed by crocodiles, literally. The Nile's infested with crocodiles. He might starve. He might suffocate. But what's really, really neat here is actually the wording. So your text, depending on which, which version you're reading today, says she took him and put him, a basket was made. The word basket there is the same Hebrew word that is the same for ark. If you're using a KJV Bible, your word ark is actually literally there. It is a direct reference back to ark that, that Noah used. And so there's actually a really cool connection for the theme of God's redemption in the middle of hostility and, and for God to raise up one who his promise will continue through by providing safety in a, in a floating vehicle down a body of water. Now, this doesn't mean in application that we should put all our kids in baskets and send them down the Severn this afternoon, right? <laughs> or go floating on the Chesapeake. Um, yeah, it doesn't work out well if you've read the news recently sometimes too. But what it means is when we're faced with a hard decision, we can trust and we, can, we need to have the heart posture that is willing to surrender what we hold most dear on this earth into God's hands and to trust him with the future. 
wherever God might direct the waters to take Moses or wherever God might to ask you, allow you to, maybe your child wants to be a missionary to a far off country one day and their safety's in jeopardy. And you're like, I don't want, remember the story, release, right? And trust, believe that God's word is greater. And you can, those applications continue and there are a lot more there. And they, you might, I pray that the Holy Spirit would just tug on your heart right now with maybe something in your life that you're withholding and you're unwilling to right now surrender. So in view of how great God is and how much bigger his word is, I pray that the Holy Spirit would allow you to release control of what you hold most dear on earth and to trust him with it, whatever he might ask of you for it. So in God's providence, he keeps Noah safe from drowning, starving, and literally by eating by crocodiles. And look at, look at God's providence right here. Who does he meet? The daughter of Pharaoh. And the word literally says, when she saw him, she beheld the baby was crying in verse six of chapter two. She took pity. That word is compassion. God is again stirring the heart of the daughter of the pagan ruler of the free world to go against her own <laughs> father's orders. God's word is greater. Our God is bigger. Amen. Like he saw, I hope you, I hope this is leaping off the pages for you and gives you the freedom to live with faith in the face of whatever fears you're facing, because God is in control. Her, the Pharaoh's own daughter defied the decree of her father. She should have had him drowned. But God, but God had a bigger plan, a greater plan. And Miriam comes running up as a sister. Her name is not named here, but it's Miriam. Okay, and like, hey, I got an idea for you. She had the brazenness to go to Pharaoh's daughter and say, would you like a Hebrew midwife to sort of nurse the baby so you don't have to deal with like all the diapers and the crying and like, oh, well, she'll return you back to him at some point. And you know what Pharaoh goes, that's a great idea. Here, let me go get one. So Miriam goes and runs, gets who? Her own mother and Moses' mother. And so Moses in God's grace and providence, Moses' mom who just released her son gets to have her son back for a couple years to breastfeed him, to nurse him, to care for him, to raise him. And you know what the kicker is? Pharaoh's daughter even paid her to do it. (laughs) It's awesome. God is raising a redeemer who is going to free his people out of captivity. And he's now even paying the Hebrew, his mom, to do it. And he's going to raise, more on this next week, raise Moses up within the own home. It's a gospel invasion in the home of Pharaoh. Our God is awesome. And he's in total sovereign control when Pharaoh's daughter named him Moses because that means to draw out and it's an absolute foreshadowing to the reality that God will use Moses to draw out his people out of slavery and captivity out of Egypt. What an encouragement, amen? It's when we wrestle with the question, is God worthy? When you read this, how does your heart, I pray that your heart would leap as mine does. Yes, he's worthy of it all. He's worthy to live in fear of who God is and to walk in faith. Because as Jesus says in John 14, 15, if you love me, you'll what? You will keep my commands. Not in some legalistic way, but in a loving way. As an overflow of worship, as an overflow of fear, as an overflow of reverence. When I grasp the bigness and the greatness of God, how can I not respond in obedience, right? How could I not? Oh, I have to know. I get to. The King of Kings and the Lord of Lords says, trust me, I got you and I got this. And whatever you're walking through right now, he knows. Maybe you're in that season of 400 years of slavery. He knows. He knows. I was 
talking with someone this week who was going through a great tragedy. And this person said something that really met me where I was, and God used it in a big way. He was the one really hurting, and he ministered to me. And he said this, my grief is great today, but God's grace is greater. Amen? It's true. So what do we do when we don't know what to do? Trust that God's word is greater and go to him. God's word is greater than your feelings, friends. God's word is, is, is greater than my plans. God's word is greater than my earthly relationships. If you're doing something with something that's not you're married to, you, shouldn't, you should stop doing it because God's word is greater and God is bigger, amen? God is greater than my understanding. God is greater than my greatest failure. God's word is greater than my most significant success. God's word and God are greater than my family on earth, my earthly reputation. God is greater. He's bigger than my earth, the earthly wisdom. He's greater than my five-year plan. God's word is greater than my 401k, so it should free me to give freely, generously. God's word is greater than my calendar. God's word is greater than my comfort, my need for control, my social media influence. God's word is, is greater and God is bigger than my boss, my financial advisor, my security, my insecurities, my fear. God's is bigger and God's word is greater. Amen to whatever you're walking through. I pray that you would choose faith to look to God as bigger, to surrender in your heart, to submit your mind to God's word, and then to surrender your heart, to commit your life to a life of service and sacrifice for our Lord. Because he's worthy of it all. Amen? He delivers us. He saves us. He redeems us. He restores us. He protects us. He provides for us. And he has raised up a redeemer who is even greater than Moses and his name is Jesus who left a place he didn't have to leave who came to you and I who despised him and rejected him who lived a life that was perfect when we were far from it who looked at you and me in our mess and said my mercy is more who into the middle of our guilt said my grace is sufficient and I pray that you would see him as bigger than your greatest failure today. There's nowhere that you can go that God's grace will not cover. You know, sin that you can commit, that his sacrifice didn't pay for. And there is not a time, a millisecond in this life that we can outrun our need for God's grace and our need to submit and our joy to submit and surrender God in obedience to him. Amen. So I pray that you would do that. We're about to hear three testimonies of men that are doing that. My question for you is they have found breakthrough. My question for you is, have you found breakthrough today? For the first time, and maybe you've been on the fence, I pray that right now you would choose to get over your fear of commitment, you get over your fear of whatever earthly consequences you, and choose to put your faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. There is no greater freedom, freedom than doing that. Or maybe you know Christ, but you've wandered and you've, you've found yourself succumbing to the fear of man, the fear of insecurity, the fear of whatever, the fear of the future. I pray that you would again realign your heart and choose to focus on God's love for you and who God is to you. Realign your mind on what God's word is to you, that it's greater and that it's sufficient and that you would choose to then realign your life and build your life on the word of God right now. Here's what the proverb says, Solomon, as we close. In the fear of the Lord, one has a strong confidence and his children will have a refuge. The fear of the Lord is a foundation of life that one may turn away from the snares of death. 
Friends, right now, is the fear of the Lord your foundation of life? Because that is what gives you earthly life and abundance and eternal life with confidence. When we choose to put our faith in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, to see the reality that he is bigger and to hang our hat and drop anchor in every season, circumstance, and situation of life that God's word is greater. Amen? Let's pray. Father, I just thank you so much for who you are. I thank you for the reality and the beauty of your word. I thank you for the greatness of of your act to die on the cross, Jesus. And I just pray right now that you would move in our midst. God, we all fear something today. I, I know I've had to face several of my fears this weekend for a variety of reasons. And it's scary. And it's hard. But you're there. In the deepest pit, you're there. Where can we go from your spirit on the highest of highs and the lowest of lows? You are there and praise you, Jesus, for that. You are worthy of our adoration. You are worthy of our surrender. You are worthy of our submission. You are worthy of our affection. And in this moment, God, you are worthy of it all because you are it all. You are all in all. And God, we love you and we praise you and we adore you. Thank you that the breakthrough is available right here. And for my friends and family listening and processing and the Holy Spirit's moving, I pray that right now in this moment, they would choose faith. They would choose to fear you over whatever the earthly fears are that are inhabiting their minds and set their focus on you and renew their minds to submit their lives under you and to walk forward in confidence with reverence hand in hand with you. Thank you for being our refuge, Jesus. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen.